Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Permit me to read uh, for you some more scripture. Always a blessing to hear more from the word of God. And here it is from Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And a reading from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Kind of odd, right? You probably wouldn't have expected to hear the story of Cain and Abel on Septuagesima when we are talking about this parable of the vineyard. But permit me to explain myself. But first we have to answer this question. What was Cain's mistake? What was his problem? Was his offering of less value than Abel's? No. He brought the first fruits from the ground, Abel the first fruits from the flock. No, that wasn't it. Cain's mistake was that he thought so highly of himself and of his work that he could in some way manipulate God or influence God's favor toward him by what he did. Now, on the other hand, you have This other brother, this younger brother, Abel, a lowly shepherd. And he comes to God in faith and offers his gifts at the altar. He recognized, this shepherd boy, that all good that he had, all the blessing of his flock, its growth, its offspring... All of that that he had came from God. And all of the things that he did to work were blessed by God. And all that he gave back to God, you might guess, were the things of God. Nothing that Abel had did he actually own. They were the first fruits of God's creation. They were... God's growth. They were God's blessings. And it reminded me as I was going through some study this past week that there is this passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 where David says something very similar. He says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. 
But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Very interesting. This is important as we study this parable today about the kingdom of heaven. Because we know that this is a parable about works. But works are not the central point of this parable. The central point of this parable has really nothing to do with our works. In fact, that's what makes it so special. It is everything to do with God's grace. Each one of the gesmas are related to the solas. So you have sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura. Today we are going through sola gratia, by, by grace alone. And that's what this parable is about. About being saved by grace alone. That's why Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to the Lord. Because he had faith in God. You may be reminded of those words from Romans chapter 4. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Why was Abel righteous and Cain not? Both worked, but it was Abel who trusted and believed in God. We know that God commands us to walk in works. We know that he has prepared them for us, his children, to walk in them, to do them, to serve our neighbor. We know the greatest commandment is to love God above all things. But the second commandment, which is like it, Jesus says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Christians, though free from service, also humble themselves in service to their neighbor. Why? For the very sake of Christ who gave himself up for us and for our salvation. We love to serve. The one who is seeking a reward works for that reward. It's as if they have to work and work until they are, are, are unburdened. Work is burdensome to them. But if you see, like Abel, offering his first fruits at the altar, his work was not burdensome because he was trusting in God to grant him blessing. And he would return back to God, God's own possession. The readings that I gave to you earlier give us great insight into how God regards our good works and our gifts to him. Because the good works that we do really belong to God anyway. We didn't derive the law from ourselves. The law was written on our hearts from God. We didn't write the law into creation. God wrote the law into creation. He told us what is good. He told us what is virtuous. And he has prepared what we are to do. So even those things which we want to call good works really come from God. We give back to God what is his own. And those tithes and offerings are sacrifices, bearing the cross even. Those things are nothing more than giving back to him what is his, what has come from him. Now it is what God 
or excuse me, that God has done something very much from the beginning of time. After the fall into sin, he banished Adam and Eve and all of their offspring from the garden. He set them out into the consequence of their sin. They were no longer able to eat from the tree of life. They had to work the ground and by the sweat of their brow and by the blood would come forth what they have. But it would be difficult work. God did not make a way back into the Garden of Eden, but by his grace we have something better. God in today's parable shows us that he has opened a way into a new garden, a better one, where it is his son who is the true vine, the true and choicest of wines. We see that it is Christ who calls the many into the vineyard. And the many does not mean just some. God calls all people. He goes back and back time and time again into the marketplace to call more and more people to come and to work. And notice how he does that. He goes out and then he goes with them back to the vineyard and goes out again and again. God in his grace continues to call at all hours of the day. God has opened a better and greater garden for us that we are not, in fact, barred from entering. And it is a place where we can go and do these good works that God has prepared for us. And the call from his son goes out to every generation to come and follow him back to the vineyard. As I said, this parable isn't about works performed by the laborers. But it is about work. It's about God's work done for us. God's going out and calling us to the faith, to trust in him and his generous love, which looks at us as idle workers throughout all the day. And he still comes and says, come to me. I bring it up often, but it is the Lord who says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. We know that our Lord welcomes us. In fact, every time you leave this sanctuary, that's what you are to see in the stained glass window. The Lord welcoming you into his arms. That is grace. His generous love, which looks past our sins because they are forgiven in Christ. And he loves us more and more. God knew in his heart, as this parable shows, that he was going to show mercy to those who did not work the whole day. A day's work in his time, as Jesus was explaining, you would receive a denarius. That was for 12 hours of labor under the hard sun. And so the first go and agree that they would work for one denarius. They had to negotiate their wages. But after you look at the text, after that, every hour after that, they go trusting in the generosity of the master. And that's important because Jesus didn't tell them or the master of the house didn't tell them what they would get. And in fact, if they were to be honest, well, they probably knew that being a full day, a full, not having worked a full day, they would have uh, to expect very little from the master. In fact, they probably wouldn't even be able to ask of him very much. Well, it'd probably be better to rest in his mercy, 
for his generosity. But that leads us to consider, why were they outside the vineyard in the first place? Why were they standing idle? And to this, the church can give an answer. They were outside of the vineyard and away from the master's house because they were not of his family. They were children of the devil. And they were idle because, as the Bible tells us, no unbeliever can do works which please God. We know even that the prayer of an unbeliever is not even heard by God. But that is why Jesus goes out and says, the master of the house calls them. It is God who shows them where to go. It is God who calls them and at invitation they are to come into his house. God brings them into his house and notice that he brings them into the harvest. God shares with them his bounty, his abundance of goodness. He gives it to them though they have done nothing to deserve it. God shares with them the harvest which he has planted. And that's what makes the rejection at the end of those uh, at the end of this parable from those who were called so much worse. In fact, it's even worse than those who were standing idle all day. Because the ones called later in the day went to willingly work by faith in the master's goodness, but the ones at the beginning knew what they were working for. The workers who went willingly, as I said, knew that they would receive probably less than what they deserve, or sorry, less, um, knowing that they did not deserve it. In fact, they probably would not have wanted anything reckoned to them based on their amount of work. And I want to, to consider that, that this parable coming back to talking about Genesis chapter 4. Look at Abel again. His job was to tend sheep. He didn't have the job of his father and his older brother Cain. Adam was a worker of the ground and Cain followed in his steps. But Abel was the lowly sheep herder. He didn't work the ground. He was like another lowly shepherd that we hear, David. Remember, David was tending the sheep when Samuel came to anoint the king over all of Israel. And when Samuel was there, he said, surely it's going to be, of of the kids, it's going to be the brawniest, the best looking, the oldest. But what did God tell Samuel? He does not judge by appearance, but by the heart. And so it was that God did not regard Cain's sacrifice because he was older or because he was a worker of the ground. God regarded Abel's sacrifice because of faith. And so it is with those who are called later in this parable. God blesses them with his grace by faith. They believe and trusted that the master would be merciful. And that's what God says I will show mercy with those I show mercy, and I will be gracious to those to whom I am gracious. He poured out upon those who did not deserve it temporal and eternal blessings. And it is that those who humble themselves and labor by grace, not in search of a reward, but for the sake of the love which God had shown them, even to bring them into the vineyard, he will give them blessings. Those who see themselves as the last, who view their works as even something which is inferior 
or insignificant in comparison to what Christ has done on the cross, those are the ones that God will exalt. They will be the first, though they were called last. We are called, you and I, dear Christians, we are called into this vineyard by Christ. God calls us by his word. He brings us to the waters of baptism and he even does something to keep us in this place. God continually sustains this faith. He fills us with all good things. If you think about it, at the end of each day, our day ends much like this parable. By God's gracious gift, at the end of the day, we receive forgiveness for all our sins, but it's not on account of our labor. Could you imagine if you had to go all day wondering if your sins were going to be forgiven at the end of the day based upon how much you did good in this life? Boy, I could only imagine how much doubt we would have. Because could we have done more to show honor to our God? Could we have kept those first three commandments much better than we have? Always. Should we maybe have held our tongue faster uh, or maybe been more gracious to our loved ones or our spouse after the end of a long day? Certainly. Could our neighbors have received more of what God has commanded us to give to them? Could we have blessed them with more that we have? Absolutely. Should our left hand not have been made aware of what our right hand was doing, as God has said in the scriptures? Lots of the time. You see, our works, though commanded and needed, according to God, fall short of meriting any sort of a reward at the end of the day. But here is how God greets us at the end of the day. He calls us forth, not discouraging us for having failed or not discouraging us from having done what we did, knowing that we did it in the name of the Lord and in trust in him. But no, he calls us at the end of the day, reaches out to us in love and hands to us the fullness of his love, his grace, our forgiveness is not dependent upon our works. It's dependent upon Christ's work, what he has done. God warns us, though, against his judgment to not think so highly of ourselves that we should think then that we can manipulate him or, in fact, cash in on our reward or on our labor. You notice that when Cain finds that God shows no partiality. Cain was filled with anger and rage. But he was also filled with resentment. He hated his brother because that God had showed his brother Abel goodness and mercy. And the Lord warns him against this. The Lord warns against this temptation that is crouching at Cain's door because Cain cannot rejoice in the favor that God shows Abel. But I want you to think about that for a moment, that Cain is filled with rage over God's goodness. 
that's going to become important for Christians in the coming years. The more and more uh, that this world realizes how good God is, it doesn't mean that they are going to rejoice with us over God's goodness. But rather, they may be filled with rage. And what happened? Cain does not rule over this temptation, though God warned him against it. He lets it consume him, and he goes after his brother's life. At the end of this parable that Jesus tells, the ones who reject Christ are the ones who have an eye filled with evil. You don't hear that in the translation in the ESV, but the quite literal translation is, why is your eye full of evil? Over my goodness. When we look around at each other, do we measure each other by the amount of grace that we each have received? Or do we rejoice with one another that we have received God's favor, all of us, having been condemned under the law, all of us having fallen short of doing those good works which God has commanded us? Do we rejoice with one another that we can come together and share in the same forgiveness of sins? That each of us can share in the same joy having been called out of this world through the waters of baptism into this new life in Christ, into a new inheritance? Do we rejoice with one another? Or when we see one who has fallen so far being shown favor, that is forgiveness, Is our eye filled with evil? The one who is like that is no Christian at all. As God tells them, go. Go your own way. Leave the vineyard. Leave my presence. You are not a Christian. It reminded me of Jesus' words that he once spoke. Words that are often related to baptism. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through a waterless place, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. When a Christian has been exercised of their demons, that is in the baptism, God takes what was unclean, casts out the evil, and sends forth the Holy Spirit into that person, they are made a Christian. But that same person can leave the faith. They can walk away from the call of God. And that second state of the person will be worse than the first. They will not only have known of God's goodness and the abundance of God's mercy and his love and his forgiveness, but then having left the faith, they will hate the one who remains because they believe they deserved more. God's fairness is that he gives to us all equally what we do not deserve, which is his grace, his love. 
Now, maybe there are some who have left the church saying, or I know there are some that have left the church saying they should have received more for their efforts, or God shouldn't have taken such and such away from them. But remember that we have been called out of the marketplace of the devil. We have been called out of idleness, which would have only led to eternal death. God has called us into a new life. Let us not have the hearts of this evil generation, but may God grant to us better hearts through Christ, that we may look on the forgiveness of our neighbor with joy and rejoicing, and that we ourselves can be on guard because we know that if we labor by faith, those who labor by works may seek to end us for it, to maybe even kill us for it, How? Physically? Like Cain did to Abel? Maybe unlikely right now, perhaps soon. But always spiritually. Because those who are not content with what Christ has done on the cross, cross, but see themselves as needing to work for their salvation, will bring about doubts into your life. They will make you doubt God's love and his favor towards you. Perhaps to put you down or in your place, they will bring up your past, your sins, your shame. And to that, I tell you, you only have one place to go. Go to Christ. Go to Christ at the end of the day and see how his messengers call you up, the last first and the first last. And see how he gives to you what he gave to those who came at the beginning of the day. He gives to you All, everything that you did not deserve, he gives it to you by his generosity because he is the God of love. It is by grace alone that you are all saved. By grace alone. Every man, woman, and child has entered into the eternal realm of glory by grace alone. They did not earn it. And those who had thought they earned it, they have far or they have left now far gone on their own way. But all those who received it from God's generosity have everything they need for salvation. So when those look upon you with the eye of evil, it is not because of you. It is because of God's goodness. They cannot stand to allow others to have what they believe you do not deserve. So all the more should we as Christians say to them, we don't deserve it, but God has given it to us all by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated.